This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Us carries in the sidecar, if we could say it that way, it call it carries rejoicing. And so the reason we, we may not be rejoicing, and probably is the reason we're not rejoicing, is because our trust level, trust in God, it's not that we don't love God, it's not that, that our trust level in what he said. Now, a lot of time what people will do, uh, I don't know how frequent that you may uh, have encountered it, but a lot of time what people will do, they'll ask God to prove himself by putting out they, they will put out a fleece, as we say. They'll fleece God. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? So they're asking God to prove to them that, that he is trustworthy. And, but yet at the same time, the Bible never tells us to fleece God in the New Testament. Now Gideon did, he put that out in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament calls for faith, it calls for trust, it calls for belief, it calls for assurance, it calls for persuasion. So God, God doesn't, doesn't really have, have to prove himself to people necessarily because he knows who he is. He know, God, God's well aware of who he is and so he, he does not have to prove himself in this sense to make me believe that he's God. He's God. He knows he's God. And so we see then, in this one verse of scripture here, we see that, uh, that uh, uh, but let all of those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Now here's another thing that goes along with it in this verse of scripture, and you, you can read it there. Let them ever shout for joy. Why? Because God is defending us. So we trust him. We trust, you know, when the, when, the, when the enemy or whatever it is, is pressing in, we know that God, we trust him. He is defending us. He is our defender. So because we know that God is defending us, what can, what can we do or what should we do or what will we find ourselves doing? We, we will find ourselves shouting for joy because God defends us. God is my defense. And then the third thing in this verse is let, let them also that love your name be joyful in thee. Now we got, we got joy. Now we know in Nehemiah tells us about joy. We quote that right often. What does it say? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we see some things just in this one verse of scripture that really carries its way to come into the place that we become uh, uh, fully persuaded, or we could say it this way, that, we, that our trust level is right at the top. We are fully persuaded. Now, if, you, if a person is fully persuaded, that, that means they've got all the persuasion, you know, it'd be kind of like this, be kind of like a person, you know, you take a glass, pour a little bit of water in it, you got some water in the glass, but it may not be full, so it's half full. Or you got some water in the glass, and it might be three quarters, three fourths full. Got some water in there, but you don't. But the glass is not full of water. But if you got it all the way up to the brim, 
then you got it full. And if it's overflowing, then you come to the place that it's fully, fully filled with water. Now, now relate that to your faith. So when the faith, when, you're, when your trust in God is overflowing, then these, these things that's listed in this verse is going to happen for you. What's the first one? Let all of them that what put their trust in thee do what? Rejoice. Number two was what? Let them ever shout for joy, the joy of the Lord being our strength. And then number three was let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. What are we doing? We're talking about faith. We are building. We're building. What are we building toward? We're building toward becoming fully persuaded, overflowing with trust, fully persuaded that God is our defender, that God will do what he said he would do, and all at that point, all doubt is removed when we become fully persuaded that God is trustworthy and that God will do what he said he would do and that God will do it for me, not just for others, but God will do it for me being fully, fully persuaded, overflowing with trust, overflowing with faith, overflowing with your believing God. So we're fully, fully persuaded. We're, we're, we're taking what God says and we're working our way to a place that we've come and we'll talk about Abraham. Brian talked about Abraham yesterday. We are working toward that place of being fully persuaded where God is concerned where doubt is eliminated, fear is eliminated, uh, concern is eliminated in the sense of we're not concerned whether or not God's going to do it. We know that he will. Amen. So faith then always, faith has a voice. And faith always has a voice of rejoicing. Always. Faith, that is the voice of faith. Obviously, the voice of faith is never doubt. The, the voice of faith is never unbelief. We all, we all know that. So faith has a voice. My faith, our faith that we receive from the word, it has a voice. Here it says it has the voice of what? The voice of rejoicing. And then uh, we see then that, that, uh, that faith or fully persuaded or being persuaded, it, faith always rejoices in instruction from God. In other words, we're not, we're, not, uh, we're, we're not picky and choosy about scriptures, but when we receive instruction from the word, faith fully rejoices in the instruction that God gives to us in his word. These are just little things that we can judge where we're at in our walk of faith with God and pay, pay close attention. Is this voice of faith coming out of me? And are these things really developing in, in my life? So uh, faith always rejoices in instruction from God. And faith always rejoices in the face of all circumstances. Whether the circumstances is a good circumstance and God is blessing, we rejoice. But if the circumstance may not be good and it doesn't look like there's anything in it to rejoice. We don't rejoice because of the circumstance. We rejoice because we have faith in the one who can change the circumstance when we believe God. So faith has many degrees. 
And we've talked about that. When I say many degrees, we found out no faith, little faith, great faith. So it does have degrees or levels of faith that a, that a child of God can operate in. But if we're going to operate in the highest, highest kind of faith, the glass has to be full and overflowing, fully persuaded if we're going to operate in the highest level of faith. So faith has these degrees or levels all the way up to full assurance of faith. Now, when we talk about assurance, assurance is a positive declaration exuding confidence to the point of persuasion. That is what uh, assurance is. It is a positive declaration exuding confidence to the point of persuasion. It is complete trust to the point of persuasion. And, and that persuasion then is, is, is when we have come up the ladder uh, leading us to fully, fully persuaded. And so we go over into the book then in the New Testament, we go over to the book of Romans and here we pick up Abraham. And uh, let's read it from the 19th verse. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Uh, now, here's, here's a point in that. You probably know this, but it's good to, it's good to talk about. Uh, what he says here, he says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Now, I heard a preacher do this many, many years ago, and he said, I want you to take the knots, N-O-T, take the knots out and read it. We'll read it like that in this first part. And being weak in faith, he considered his own body. The script said he considered being, uh, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. So he said, just take the knots out and read it. And said, and being weak in faith, he considered his own body. So weak faith always considers the body, considers the circumstances, and weak faith, weak faith, even though you believe in God, weak faith never, never, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it will always have some consideration of the body, of the circumstances, or of the situation. Now, it said that Abraham was not weak in faith. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, Brian said this yesterday, or I think he did, that, that when he talks about staggering, he did not allow his age, Sarah's age, circumstances, so forth. He did not allow those things to separate him from the promise. He did not allow those things to separate him from what God said. He had full trust, confidence, and belief in what God said to him. Now, uh, as Brian said yesterday, you know, there were some things along the way. But, and then it goes, it goes ahead to say, he staggered not at the promise of God. How? Through unbelief. He did not allow himself to become separated from what God had promised to him, even though he was older, he was 100 years old, Sarah was 90, and so forth. But now, verse 21 said, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform it. Fully 
persuasive. Let me tell you something about Abraham, why he was so fully persuaded to do what God told him to do with, with Isaac, take him to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. You know, we've heard, well, because he knew that God would raise him from the dead. But think about it. Abraham had already received him from the dead because Abraham and Sarah were dead. So he had already received Isaac from the dead before Isaac was ever born. And so he had that assurance and had that confidence in God being fully persuaded. Well, if God did it, did it then, he'll just do it again. I have such confidence in God that I do what he tells me to do. So he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform it. So no questions asked when he told him to take Isaac to the summit of the mountain and offer him there as a sacrifice. So we see then that Abraham and the Abraham kind of faith uh, is, a, is, a, is a very, very, uh, it's pertinent to us today. So he staggered not at the promise of God. Abraham did not separate himself from the promise through unbelief. And so when he was persuaded, it had to do with being influenced. It, it is, uh, uh, influence is the end to which all things relate. How much influence the word of God has on us as individuals. And so from the time that God spoke to Abraham concerning the birth of his son or of Isaac in his, in his old age, Abraham related everything from that point to what established his association and connection with God. What was that connection that, that, that kept Abraham connected to God? It was his promise. It was the promise that he made to him that in Isaac, the seed would be called and the promise that, that he made. Well, now we then in our connection with God and fellowship with God, it's just as important for us to consider the promises. And so all of the promises, you know, we know this, that all the promises of God are yea, yes, and amen. So, you know, you ought to take a little journey through the Bible sometime or if, if there's a book out that lists all of them, and just find out what all the promises are that God has made to us as his children. And then begin to establish those promises in your mind, uh, in your thinking, so that you stay under the influence of what God said or what God promised and stay connected then to the promises of God, just like Abraham did. And he refused then to be moved by uh, natural circumstances and through how he felt and, and his age and, and so forth. So from the time that God spoke to Abraham concerning Isaac, the birth of a son, Abraham related everything from that point to what established this association that he had with God, which was the promise. And so the promises of God, amen or yea, amen, Yes and no, and God is faithful and God is trustworthy that he will perform that which he has promised to us. So it was, it was what God had said to Abraham, as I said, that established this connection 
God made a declaration of what would be. Abraham, you will have a son. So, you know, you follow these steps through there and you'll find out how, that, that, how much influence uh, that what God said to Abraham had on him. He was greatly influenced by the word of God. He was greatly influenced by the promises or by the promise that God made to him. He let that promise then be a guiding light in his life. So, so Abraham let what God said to him influence him to the point of locating what he believed in view of what God had said. His location then became fully persuaded. And so that's what, we're, that's what we, we are doing. If you're not already there, that's what we're doing. We're working toward becoming fully persuaded, staying attached to God, not only by the Spirit and being born again, but we are connected to God through the promises that he has made to us. So we, we don't just take for granted that when something happens that the promises of God will show up, we have to be what? Fully persuaded that what he has promised, he was what? He is also able to perform that in our life. And so that takes some work on our part. I mean, you know, faith works. Did you get the drift there? Faith works. Faith always has some action that has taken place in my life. So faith is not passive. Faith is, uh, it, it, it is pro- progressive or it, it, faith works. So Abraham let God or let what God said to him influence him to the point of locating what he believed in view of what God had said. Now, if what God says has no influence on a person, if, if a person is not influenced by what God says, there, there is no, really no realistic reason to believe that that individual uh, has any faith in what God said. So we come to the place where we want to be influenced by what God has said to us from his word. Amen. And so the only way we do that is by continually reading and feeding on his word. So that, so that this influence uh, begins to build in our life and we become fully persuaded or we're, we have this influence that God then will perform what he has promised to us from, from his word. So Abraham was so influenced by what God said that he became located in a position of fully persuaded and could not be moved from it by circumstance. Now, I, I'm just talking to you about, about the nitty-gritty of faith. I mean, where the rubber meets the road, as we say. And there are just some things, you know, that we must do on our part in order to reach this level that God wants us to reach, the Abraham uh, kind of faith, as we could say it that way. So Abraham was located and locked into what God had said. So let's go back to the book of Genesis, the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. Let's read there uh, in that first verse. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Uh, one one uh, translation of that reads it, this word tempt, and God, and it came to pass after these things 
God did prove Abraham. God proves us uh, through or with his word. And so he proved Abraham by giving Abraham an instruction to do something. In this case, it was to carry Isaac up. So he told Abraham what he wanted him to do, proving Abraham's faith uh, in what, what God had promised to him. So he was so, let me repeat myself, he was so fully persuaded that even though he would take Isaac and offer him as the sacrifice, he was so fully persuaded that God had promised him that the seed would be called in Isaac, that he knew God, that what's fully persuaded, he knew God had no choice but to raise him from the dead if he, if he offered him there as a sacrifice. He didn't have a choice. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? God doesn't, but he didn't. Now, the reason he didn't have a choice is because of what he said, of what he promised, what he promised to Abraham concerning Isaac, that in you, in Isaac, the seed would be called. It, it's already out of the mouth of God, and it can't be changed. For God's the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever, and he's unchangeable. But, you see, God had to do. If, if Abraham took his life, took Isaac's life, God had to raise him from the dead. So God proved uh, uh, this faith that Abraham had. He proved him when he told him to go or take uh, Isaac to the top of the mountain. The King James says he tempted him, but he proved him. But there again, uh, Abraham had something working for him, didn't he? He had, he had this experience that he had already received him from the dead one time, and, uh, and if it became necessary, he would uh, receive him dead from the dead the second time, based on the promise that God made to him. And so it came to pass uh, after these things that God did prove Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, he said, Behold, here I am. So as we said, tempt in this setting means to prove. God will prove us through his word. He will, he will in his word, he will outline and give us instructions and things and how we're to work with him and, and how we're to walk with him. And so in that, there is a proving that takes place. And what it is, it is, it is a proving of your faith. And what it will do, it will, it will show or prove what level of faith that a person is on. And so Abraham, God proved Abraham. And so God proves us through his, through his word by instruction. So in essence, God had given, and now God appeared to be asking for Abraham to give it back. Now, now watch this. Abraham received it by promise from God. Now it is though, as though God is asking for Abraham to give it back to him. And so here was Abraham willing to do that. And so, you know, anytime that God asks you to give, not, not, I'm not just talking about money, I'm not, but anytime that God asks you to give something, God has something in mind because uh, when, God, when God blesses you and you in, in, 
in turn return to him that he asked uh, for, God has the has the uh, the purpose of multiplication in it. And anytime we give back to God out of the blessing that he's given to us, then there is always multiplication. And so the multiplication here for uh, Abraham was the fact that uh, Isaac then and the seed, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all of that then came into being because Abraham was willing to give back to God the blessing that God had promised and it had given to him. So Abraham didn't hold on to that blessing. You know, and just uh, in, 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 in that kind of way, he was willing to do what God asked him to do with what he had blessed him with. And so sometimes God does that, doesn't he? He'll bless you and then ask you to do something with what he's blessed you with. Amen. But keep in mind what he has in mind. He has in mind multiplying something back into your life, uh, making what he promised to you even greater than what it was in the beginning. So he proved Abraham. He proved Abraham's faith. But Abraham was fully persuaded. Now, I'm repeating myself a lot here. Abraham was fully persuaded to the point that he, he, he made a choice not to consider things that would hurt his faith, not to consider faith things that would weaken his faith. That's a choice. We make that choice. So, so we've already read it that Abraham, being not weak in faith, considered not his own body. And so he had total and complete trust in God. And uh, you remember when uh, Ishmael was born, you know, through Hagar, uh, and Abraham, you know, wanted to say, well, hey, he's here, let's use him. No, but God said, no, because the promise that I made to you is going to come out of your loins. And so we see then that, uh, that, 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 that God would not, you know, change the promise or not change his mind just because that uh, Ishmael had come into the picture and said, no, that this, this promise was going to come out of your, your seed. And so, again, Abraham was not weak in faith, considered not his own body, now dead, but his, he was influenced by the promise God made to him, and he became fully persuaded that what God had said and God had promised that God would give it to him. To the point, now I'm just, to the point that he was willing to give back to God the blessing that God had, had given to him in his life, uh, uh, Isaac. So what did he do? He, he followed God's instruction. And so he took him to the top of the mountain and he was fully prepared to take Isaac's life as God had instructed him him to do. So we see then that in essence God had given and now God appeared to be asking for Abraham to give it back. But I just want to stick this, keep this, uh, sticking it in your thinking. God will bless you and sometimes he'll ask you for, for, to return at least a portion of that blessing as he would direct you to do. But what's he got? He never has in mind taking something away from you that he promised What's he got in mind? He's always got in mind that he wants to multiply the promise that he's given to you. And so God will prove us. 
you see, by asking us to do things uh, like that. Uh, not necessarily like Abraham, obviously, but, but things in, in our life. Now, the, the, the second verse says it this way. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon uh, one of the mountains, which I will tell, tell thee of. So uh, here's the question. Are we willing to give back a portion or all of the blessing that God has blessed us with should God ask for it? Are we willing to do that? And so uh, 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 remember that Abraham was located and locked in. He was located and locked in. He located his faith and he locked into it to the point that nothing could uh, sidetrack him from it. Now, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but he was fully persuaded. And, and he, he made the decision to consider not his own body now dead uh, concerning, concerning the problem, but was strong in faith, giving glory uh, to God. And so... Uh, Abraham was so influenced by what God said to the point that he was persuaded whatever God blesses you with and then ask for it back could not change what God had promised. And so Abraham proved his fully persuaded faith to God. He proved that he was willing to give back to God. And you know, sometimes giving back to God poses problems sometimes, you know, in our mind, in our thinking. And when God asks us to do something, probably all of us in here have had some experience. I remember right after I, uh, I heard the message of faith, uh, uh, I, I, I was, that was way, way back yonder. Uh, and uh, I had, uh, I, had uh, uh, I believe it was $80, four $20 bills in my pocket that I had been saving along because I knew that I was going to have to pay a little bit of income tax. So I'm sitting in this meeting, and uh, uh, they are taking the offering then for, uh, for a guest minister. And uh, I, I, now I understand that I heard the Lord, but I didn't really know at that point uh, who I was hearing. But uh, just, uh, I just heard the voice say, well, I want you to give $20 of that. And so, of course, your immediate reaction was, well, you, well, I can't do that. I mean, this is for this, you know, this designated money, God. <laughs> and it's not designated to you. It's designated to Uncle Sam. And so uh, 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 I heard that in my spirit. I really didn't know how to hear the voice of God, but I heard that. So after much uh, uh, conversation silently going on between me and God, and before the offering plate or whatever happened to come down the road that I was sitting on, then I made up my mind that I would do that. So I reached in the secret compartment of my wallet. I mean, have you got a secret compartment of your wallet? You, you know, you got some money somewhere. Amen. Amen. And it's like Jesse Duplantis is, it's she money. You, you guys, it's she money. It's money she don't know you got. Because it's in the secret place. So this was she money that I had, but I knew where it was going to go. It was going to go to IRS. And so I reached in there, and I got the $20 bill, and I put it in the offering. Then the next question that I posed to God, okay, what now? 
you know, how are we going to get this thing, you know, that I knew was coming up. But, but just to tell you a little story there, which, which was my first experience with believing God, if, if, even if I was believing, I didn't know. But before I walked out of the church that night, there was this lady that came up to me, and uh, she said, now she knew who I was, and she, this lady came up to me, and she said, the Lord just really persuaded me to give you this hundred dollars. Now, hundred dollars is not that much money anymore, but uh, it, back in, in that day, it, it, was, it was okay. It was okay, a hundred dollars. So she gave me a hundred dollars. That was one of my, my first experiences of, of, of just simply obeying God and not considering my circumstances or how that was going to happen that I'd have enough money to pay my taxes. So as, it, as the story ends up, I had enough to pay the income tax that I would owe, plus I had some left over. So God never asked me for, to give, give this to him without having in mind that he wanted to multiply that to me. And so I got in my car, wanted to act like I'd been there, you know, I got in my car, and then I started rejoicing. I mean, I started giving thanks to God. And so we see then that God did not ask Abraham to give back to him what he had blessed him with without, without the, the motivation being, I want to take the blessing, and if you're willing to give it back, I'll multiply it to you. And there he proved Abraham's faith. So we see then that, that if we are located and locked in with our faith, our only consideration in the proving will be the promise. Now, let me say that again. If we are located and locked in with our faith, the only consideration that we will give will be in the promise that God has made to us. So that's why we need to know the promises. We need to know all the promises that God has made to you. You need to look them up in the Bible. Or if you can find somebody that's already looked them up and written them down, get it, get it there. Now, let's look at the 15th verse. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing. Now, watch this. Because thou hast done this thing, and you have not withheld your promise. Here it says, Thy son, who is the promise thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. Indicating, now I have blessed you with Isaac, now I'm going to bless you even greater because or through Isaac. So he said, in blessing I will bless thee, uh, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will what? I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. So you, see, you can see God never has in mind to take something away from us that he's given. If he asks for any part of it, he's got in mind of making it more abundant in your life. So he said that your, uh, your seed, you're going to multiply, and your seed will be as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Think about it, and your seed will possess the gate. Your seed will possess the authority of your enemies. You will possess the gate of your enemies. So when you bless God with your blessing, the blessing can only multiply. 
That's all it can do. It, it can't diminish you. So when you bless God out of the blessing that he blesses you with whatever it is or whatever he asks you to do, you then, you cannot uh, do anything but multiply because that's what God has in mind for you is that you would multiply in the blessing. So why did Jesus say to the, to the disciples then back into the New Testament, why did Jesus say to the disciples on the ship in the midst of the storm, how is it that you have no faith, you see? And when you look back at Abraham, then uh, you can see that their faith at this point certainly was not on the level of the faith that Abraham uh, walked in uh, back, back then. So in essence, he must have been asking, why, why does what I say to you have no influence on your life? What God said to Abraham had influenced Abraham's life. But now what God had said to the disciples out there that day in the teaching and the expounded that he did uh, for them, now he, he, he indicates and tells them, how come what I've said to you has not influenced your life? And so we see then that uh, our location in faith is in direct proportion to the influence that we allow his, allow his word to have in our thinking. Luke chapter 21 verse 14 says it this way, settle it therefore in your hearts. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. In other words, what's he saying? Don't settle in your heart what you're going to say if God asks you to do something. You just settle in your heart when God asks me to do something, I'm going to do it. Why? Because he wants to multiply something in, in your life. Amen. He wants to increase something in your life. He never, God never takes something away from you he always has in mind to give you something, something back. Now we're just simply talking about a little simple fact here of being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's able also to perform it. Let, let that scripture influence your thinking. Uh, ingrain it so much into your thinking that you're totally influenced by what he said. Uh, that, uh, that, that his promises to you are what? Yea, yes, and a amen. Be influenced by that. Then when God has blessed you, then he, and he asks you for a part of that blessing back, what are you going to do? Fully settle it in your heart. What are you going to do? I'm going to do it. And we're going to be like Abraham. We're not going to consider whatever circumstance we might be in. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to consider those circumstances. We're going to be so influenced by God's promise that we know if he blesses us and then asks us to give back, and he does ask us to give back uh, things that he blesses, then what's God got in mind? He's got in mind to increase your blessing. So he increased uh, Abraham's blessing. He was the father of the nation of Israel. God blessed him, amen, simply because he was willing to give back a part of the blessing or give back the blessing that God had given to him. So Jesus talks to his disciples about being persecuted, delivered into prison, brought before kings and rulers, but he, but he tells them in Luke 21, 14, he said, settle it in your hearts before you get there and not meditate uh, before what you shall answer. So 
that was in reference to his disciples about being persecuted, delivered into prison, brought before kings and rulers. He said, have it settled what you're going to say before you get in that position. Okay, so Jesus told them to locate themselves, talking to the disciples. Jesus told them to locate themselves and to know something before these things started happening to them. So Abraham was simply to have a progressive faith. Be prepared before anything happens in your life. Or always be prepared when God tells you to do something, you've settled it in your heart that you will obey. And so that, that's what he's talking to his disciples about. So it is with us. We will face the things of difficult circumstances and situations. Have we settled in our heart? Question B. Have you, have we settled in your heart the things that God has said to you? Have you settled in your heart that God's word is true? Have you settled in, in your heart that God's word is God speaking to you? Have you settled that in your heart? Or have you just thought about, well, that's just the Bible? Well, what you have to do, you have to move beyond that point and know that the Bible is God's word speaking to me. I hear people say sometimes, boy, I wish God would speak to me like they hear a testimony how God speaks to other people. They say, I, wish, I really wish God would speak to me. And they got three or four Bibles. And, and, and the Bible is God's word speaking to you or to us or to me. So I want you to say that with me. The Bible is God's word speaking to me. And I have settled in my heart. Whatever the Bible tells me to do, I will do it. Because God has in mind my increase my multiplication of his promises and his blessings in my life. So he said, settle it before and don't meditate before he, don't say what you're going to say or not say before he asks you to do something. Just settle, you're just simply going to do what God asks you to do. And in the natural, sometimes it does look like that that's a losing proposition. But we don't look at the things around us. We don't consider the, the things around us. We consider with full persuasion that what God says to us, that's what we are going to do. That is simply being fully persuaded. That's just simply being fully persuaded in how you respond to the promises of God. Amen? Amen. And so we see then, what did Abraham do? Being not weak in faith, what did he do? What, what did he not do? He considered not his own body, now dead, a amen. And so we see then that he had received, he received Isaac from the dead two different times. Well, not one time, and, and was prepared to do it the second time before God intervened. So where's your faith located? I mean, that's simple, I know, I know it is, but where's your faith located? Do you know that you're on a level of faith that you can handle anything God tells you to do or that you can handle any situation or circumstance that life may bring your way? You know, there's a little phrase out, life happens. There are things in life that happens that are not always pleasant, but, but where is your faith located? What can you believe God for? How much do you trust God? And so you have to settle that, locate that in your heart, in your thinking, amen be like Abraham, keeping in mind that when God 
proves you he's not trying to take anything away from you. What's, he, what, what's his intent is to increase you and give you more. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.